Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel in Mark. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning that you have gathered us to hear your word and uh, to receive your sacraments. Now Lord, we come before you this morning recognizing that we are here only by your grace. Uh, for Lord, our hearts are so set upon ourselves and our own selfish desires. So grant us forgiveness this day, O Lord, and teach us to hear your word and teach us, Lord, how to pray faithfully. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I really enjoy doing, and it's probably a strange thing to enjoy doing, is, uh, is I enjoy discussing theology. I don't think this is a surprise to any of you uh, who have been around me for a little while. I love discussing theology. I love discussing the scriptures. I even love debating this stuff and getting into arguments about it. I, I think it's kind of interesting and engaging, and, it, and it's a lot of fun. But one of the, the discussions I've been a part of over the years, uh, and I've thought through uh, about over the years, is about prayer. And one of the questions that comes up, or one of the discussions or debates that comes up when you start to discuss prayer is this. Should we pray prayers that are pre-written, or should prayers be sincere and from the heart? Are pre-written prayers okay? Now, you may have never heard this if you've been in the Lutheran church for a while. Pre-written prayers are just kind of uh, the way we do things within the service, but very often there are those who say you should not pray pre-written prayers, but only uh, prayers from the heart because the pre-written ones lack authenticity. And the other side would argue that, listen, pre-written prayers are better because they're focused and they're directed and they don't just mumble on and on and on and so you have this sort of debate going on but i would suggest to you today that it is not an either or question because both prayers are heard by god and answered in accordance with his will because we have to remember what matters in prayer is not our feeble attempts to speak with god but god's listening ear God is listening to your prayers, whether they are pre-written or whether they are spontaneous. It's a strange debate. So God listens to both prayers. However, I do want us to think a little bit more deeply this morning about this idea that spontaneous prayers from the heart are more sanctified, are more holy. Because the problem with this thinking is, is sort of this. We are basing it on the assumption that somehow our hearts are good and pure and holy. But when we go to the Scriptures, what do we find? Not so much that prayers are misguided, but that our hearts themselves are the problem. Our hearts, even after we are saved, are all tainted by sin, and our desires all tend to be rather self-serving. It would seem to me then that this is why Jesus needs to teach us how to pray. And that's why he gives us the Lord's Prayer, because our hearts just can't seem to figure the thing out. Consider, for example, today, James and John from our reading in the Gospel. The brothers James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and we call them uh, the sons of Zebedee because Zebedee was their father in case you didn't get that one figured out. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, uh, these guys come before Jesus. They're two of his closest disciples. They're part of what we call Jesus' inner circle. And they come to Jesus today in almost a prayerful position. They come to Jesus with a request. 
And so far, so good. I mean, this is the right thing to do. They go before Jesus, sort of in this prayerful position, and then here is what they ask. Here's how they pray. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you of, ask of you. Which is always a great way to start any conversation. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Now this is quite something. They come before Jesus, no shame, all guts and nerve, and request from the heart that Jesus would make them great. Give us power, give us glory, give us success and authority. We want to be great in your kingdom, Jesus. Now, initially you read this and you might think to yourself, oh, the audacity of these guys. Who starts a prayer this way? God, I want you to do whatever I ask of you. I want you to do whatever I tell you to do, God. I mean, this is quite something. That's more of a demand than a request. And then to follow it with this, here's what I want you to do, God. I want you to make me great and give me success. I want you to meet my demands and make all of my dreams come true. Who, who does this? I mean, who talks to God this way? Who is so brazen to go before him with such audacious commands and demands? What well, struck me this week as I was reading through this, uh, I do. <laughs> Every time I pray. And I would venture to guess I'm not alone in this. I imagine all of us do this to some extent. I love how later on in the reading the disciples are indignant with these guys for asking this of, of Jesus. And the other disciples, I think, are indignant not because James and John, what they said, but that James and John got there first because as it turns out, their hearts are in the same place. They all want to be first. They all want power and success and glory. They have their hearts set to seek themselves above all else. And I would venture to guess that you and I do too. Because how often in our prayers do we pray this? Lord, make me the least among people around me. Let me suffer so they might be glorified. Lord, put me in a bad position so that my faith is strengthened. Lord, let me suffer with you. How many of you prayed that this morning when you got out of bed? That's what I thought. How many of us prayed this? Lord, keep me healthy. Lord, make me healthy and wealthy and wise and give me success. Keep me safe so that I don't lose the comforts and ease I have in this light, uh, life. Give me a great life. Give me the good life. Make me great. Yes, Lord, and let me do it alongside of you so that we might share in this glory. I would venture to guess that's a little bit more of what our prayers sound like. So Jesus has to teach us to pray because we don't know how to pray as we ought. So he looks at James and John and he says this, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You guys want success, huh? You, you want to be great? Do you want to be great with me in my kingdom? Do you want to be great like me? You want to share in my greatness? Do you think that you can do what I'm about to go do? And they respond, yes, sir. We are able. 
So Jesus, why don't you go ahead and just give us that cup so we can drink it? Why don't you wash us with your baptism so we will be clean? And why don't we all start polishing off those thrones on your right and your left-hand side so that we can sit on them in comfort? We've prayed for success now. Jesus, give us what we want. Successful life. Healthy kids, secure jobs, reliable retirement plans. I don't need to be too hard on these guys, but we have to recognize they are praying straight from the heart. And that their hearts don't look all too different from yours or mine. Because our hearts all desire greatness. But as the New Testament and the Old Testament are, are, are constantly reminding us, we need new hearts. We need to understand that greatness in the kingdom of God is defined in an entirely different way so that when we pray something like this, thy kingdom come, we are not praying, God, my kingdom be established around me, but yours. And when we pray thy kingdom come, we need to brace ourselves for a different kind of kingdom than that which is found in this world. A kingdom that comes in an entirely different way, one that we are not expecting or used to, and not really even in a way that we would necessarily desire. A kingdom that comes, Jesus says, when he is delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and condemned to death and delivered to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. That's how his kingdom comes. So that greatness is established in this kingdom through sacrifice. Not in success on a throne, but death on a cross. So Jesus will answer our prayers for greatness and comfort and ease and all of these things in a manner we are not ready for. Because we don't realize what we're asking. Jesus says, look, you're asking for greatness according to the standards of the world. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them, he says. You know that success in the world is defined by power, and by money, and by comfort, and by an easy retirement, and by having people beneath you and not ever allowing them to get in front of you or to try and stop you from achieving everything you want and desire. But, Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. But who would ever be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And that sort of word changes everything. It teaches us to pray in an entirely different way. It teaches us to pray to God to teach us how we should be last in this world. It teaches us to pray that we would not necessarily work towards mere financial security, but that we would trust God to provide us for daily bread so that we can sacrifice our time and our talents and our abilities and all that we have for the sake of others, knowing that He will continue to provide for us even if it looks like weakness to the rest of the world. We'd learn to pray to Him to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us which means we're learning to pray to suffer the shame of forgiving those who have wronged us. We pray to endure the temptations and the evil of the world as opposed to give in to them in an effort to secure our comforts. And we pray not that God would keep us out of trial and struggle, but that our faith would stand firm in the day of trial and that we would be found trusting God no matter what may come and loving our neighbors 
even when it means personal loss, personal shame, and failure in the eyes of the world. I'll give you a concrete example of what this might look like. I read an account this last week of a woman who found a great deal of success in her job. She did very well for herself. She worked her way up in the company, and she finally got just like this massive promotion. But in order to take the new position she was supposed to have, it would require her to leave the state where she was living. And that would also mean leaving behind her mother who she was taking care of. Her mother was too ill to move with her, so she would have had to put her mom in a home to be cared for while she went off uh, to get this new job. So she had to decide, will she take worldly success or will she take sacrificial love? Well, much to the chagrin of her company and perhaps to the detriment to a certain point of her career, she chose her mother. She chose to stay behind and care for her mother. And we like the sentimentality of that story, I'm sure. But also, if we find ourselves in that situation, we start to look for any sort of reason to choose the success over the love. We'll start saying things like, look, but this is what she worked so hard for. And after all, isn't this what her mom would want her to do anyways? I mean, who does that? Who gives up power and success and glory? For difficult work, painful love, and sacrifice. Who does that? Well, Jesus does. For you see, all of this Jesus has done, and he's done it for you. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Which means that all power and glory and might and success and whatever other one kind of word we want to use belongs to Jesus. And he could have used all of that power and authority to call down armies of angels and wipe out his foes. He could have sent the world's armies cowering and nations trembling in fear of his glory. He could have mocked and shamed James and John and you and me for our selfish aspirations and our life-embracing, kingdom-denying goals and forced us to be shamed slaves under his mighty arm. He could have done all of it but instead, he became a servant. He became a slave. And he did all of it for us. He did all of it for you. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, it seems, it seems, Jesus, it turns out, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And not because of his power and his glory and his might. But because of his shameful death on a cross which he died for sinners. Because of the sacrifice of shedding his blood that he's made for you. See, in the kingdom of God, greatness is found in lowliness and glory in the cross. And Jesus is the greatest because he laid down his life for you on the cross. For you and I, whose hearts and prayers are so misguided, Jesus prays for us. Jesus, we hear him actually praying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Father does. And because of this sacrifice, you are forgiven and you are welcomed into this kingdom. Now, to be great here means that you are called to serve others. And yes, Make no mistake, you are called to it. You are called to sacrifice and serve and become the least 
But remember, the greatest among us, Jesus, he's done all of that himself. And he's done it for you. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus, who is both the lowest and the greatest among us. Teach us, Lord, to follow in his footsteps so that though we face shame and death and mockery in this world, we know that we will also face resurrection with him and dwell with you for all of eternity. We ask all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.